must remember that true faith is always an active faith. We must remember, as James is, is, is speaking to those in the church, we must remember that a true faith, a biblical faith, a faith that God puts forward, not man, Not the one yelling on television. Not as defined by some best-seller list on the New York Times with Christian labels. The book, as described in the book, the Bible. True faith, as described by Jesus Christ, it's an act of it's a faith of not just merely intellectual assent. I agree. I agree. I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with this. I agree with that. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond just simply agreeing what Scripture says. It's an act of faith. It's a faith that, that, that changes us. It is a belief that you put your trust in. It's that which you live by. Active faith. James will describe what that looks like. The next few verses. Points. And remember, there are four points of a living or a dead faith. Four highlights in the scriptures that follow in which James describes what a true and living faith looks like. And to some extent, what a dead faith looks like. A faith that is not defined by the scriptures. Let us begin. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, he's speaking to the church. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, someone says, he has faith, but does not have works. He says, he gives a rhetorical question, can that faith save him? Here's the first point, faith spoken and not lived out cannot save you. If someone says, if something comes out of their mouth, if, if, if they make noise because their tongue is moving, if they just simply say it, does that faith have any merit before God? Can it save them? That what you say, not that what you do. He's describing a person in the term that someone who says it's perpetual. Listen, none of us are perfect. None of us do everything we say we're going to do. We lapse. What he is describing here is a person who continually says one thing. Does another. God, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. But his actions and his feelings, 
otherwise. If someone says, God, I trust you, but then he or she is always seen how they can get their way, or how they can get out of the mess they got themselves into. He starts off with a rhetorical question. Verse 20 puts out is, listen, we're going to examine this thing called faith, and, and just because you say it doesn't make it so. Truth of the matter is, we human beings, we are masters, masters in self-deception. We oftentimes think we're, we're one thing, and we're the other. We oftentimes have views of ourselves and that we think we're doing well. Yet everybody else in the office sees it differently. Everybody else in your family has the opposite view. James, in the grace of God, he gives us a portrait. He gives us ways in which we can assess. He starts off by saying, we masters of self-deception just because we say something. Let's make it so. Can that faith save him? Verse 15, if a brother or sister, sister, and the context is a brother or sister, those who are part of the, the body, those who are in Christ, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food. The bare necessities. And again, you think we have it bad. Back then, there was no minimum wage, social security, food, stamps. And guess what? In many of the countries today, it's not so. Knew a guy back at seminary, he said, James, America is, is very unique. I said, what is that? He says, America is the only country on earth in which your poor are fat. Go anywhere else in the world, you know who's poor. You just got to look at him. That's all. That's all. He says, your country is blessed. Blessed. You guys don't know poverty. You don't know it. Poverty to you guys is when your cable gets cut off and you can't afford it any longer. That's not He's describing a situation to a brother and sister in the Lord, living under conditions very different than America. They're hungry. And they're not properly clothed. Verse 16, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? You have a brother or a sister. And again, he, he's picking up the train of thought from last week. Remember? Rich, poor. Now let's focus on the poor. When the poor comes in, how do you treat him? Lacking in clothes, lacking in food. They're hungry. Now, in America, I would agree, for the most part, if you don't have clothes and you go without food in America, 99.99% of the time, it's your fault. But in 
this world is not necessarily true. Men who are willing to work hard. Men who want to provide for their family. Many a times, it wasn't possible and it wasn't their fault. These men walk into the church, hungry, not clothed, and you who have some say, go in peace, be warm, be filled. I know you have little clothes, but be warm. I know you, your wife, your children, you're hungry. Be filled. And you have it within your power. James asks a question. He likes teaching by asking questions. The obvious answer, no good. Verse 17. So also faith by itself, it does not, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He uses the example. Your faith, and the faith in God that doesn't move you to act, is as good as the words to a hungry man be filled. No good. It's as good as the words to a man who's cold. Be warm. No good. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You see, we're not talking about how we stand before God. James is using practical arguments between men. You show me this, I show you that. How can we think of practical ways of amongst men we can decipher Genuine faith, not before God, before men. Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons, the fallen angels, they know God is, is one better than you. They shudder because they've seen him. They have an intellectual knowledge that goes far beyond your intellectual knowledge. Their intellectual knowledge is intimate in that God threw them out of heaven. They felt the boot. They know better than you. If all we're talking about is intellectual sin, if all we're talking about of facts, if your faith is nothing or compared to just facts, demons have better facts than you do. And they shudder. Even the demons believe in shudder. Verse 20, do you want to be shown to foolish person? Faith from words. Here's the second point. Faith without works is not biblical faith. 
let me explain. If you ever want to know what, what, what the best definition of the English words are, go to Webster's 1828. That's when men feared God and wrote dictionary. Here's the, here, 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 here is the, the definition of faith in the English language. Evangelical justifying or saving faith is the ascent of the mind to the truth of divine revelation on the authority of God's testimony accompanied with a cordial assent of the will or approbation of the heart an entire confidence or trust in God's character and declarations and in the character and doctrines of Christ with an unreserved surrender of the will to his guidance and dependence on his merits for salvation. In other words, that firm belief of God's testimony and of the truth of the gospel which influences the will and leads an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. True biblical faith not only affects the mind that you agree with, but it affects the heart, the will. The will to do something. Faith, if you can understand it in as little as possible, faith means trust. It's trust. Let me give you a, a, an illustration. Someone walks up to you, hey, I have this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stock share. Didn't come from an official of the company, so it's not technically inside trading, but I know it's going to happen. Whatever you give me, and it's a customer, say it's a customer. Whatever you give me, I won't double it, I won't triple it, I'll give you ten times. What you give me. You give me a hundred, I give you a thousand. You give me a thousand, I give you two thousand. And if you give it to me on the first of next month, by the fifteenth, I will give you ten times back what you give me. My cousin, do you believe me? Yeah, I believe you. You believe me? Yeah, I believe you. You trust me? Yeah, I trust you. You give me the money. No, I'm not giving you the money. No. I thought you said you trust me. Don't you have faith in me? Yes. And give them the money. No. It's a little customer. Is that faith? I don't care if he's my father. You're going to ten times my money in 15 days? Either it's a scam or you're lying. I don't trust you. If you can do that, my, my, my red light said, this is what, if you can do it, it's illegal. And if you don't give it to me, that shows what you truly believe. You don't trust him. You don't have faith that he can do it or that he can do it so it is so when it comes to God faith is trust faith is that which I believe that I will act upon 
which I believe intellectually so much so, I'm willing to give it all. That's faith. I counted many, many times in the hospital when I was a counselor. I would oftentimes have people come in to the hospital claiming to be believers. And I don't know, maybe they were, I'm, I'm sure some of them were. And if they came in and they were struggling with anxiety, I would sit down and say, What are you worried about? You worried about this? You worried about that? If you're a believer, I'm going to talk to you as a believer. Do you believe the Father is God? Oh, yeah. Do you believe that God is in control of all things? Oh, yeah. And problem A and B, do you believe God is in control of that? Yes. And do you believe that God will love you and do his best? And there's nothing in problems A, B, and C that can overwhelm you to the point to where it overwhelms your God. And if he loves you, he'll protect you. Do you believe that? Yes. Why are you anxious? I don't know. I just want to. No, 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 no. The first step in healing is to admit the truth. You don't trust him. That's why you're anxious. You don't have faith in him. That's why you're worried. You don't trust him. Whatever you call faith is not biblical faith. Because you're not trusting him. That's why you're anxious. That's why point two, faith without works is not biblical faith because you don't trust him enough to do that what you say you believe. And if you don't trust him enough to act upon it, then it's not biblical faith. You remember Hebrews 11? By faith, Abraham did what? When the came. By faith, Abraham did what? Offered up Isaac. His faith always prompted him to do something, to act upon it. By faith, Moses rejected riches and pleasures of, of Egypt and chose to suffer with his brothers, the Hebrews. By faith, in Hebrews 11, it always caused them to do something, to act upon that which they believe. And if you are unwilling to act upon that which you say you believe, then you don't have faith. You don't trust it. You can call it faith, but it's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is an act of faith. Biblical faith says, I trust it enough to do. Just in case we may think that somehow James differs from Paul. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that uh, so that no one may boast. See, we know Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But we lop off verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. True biblical faith 
by grace, through faith, always prompts us to do something. To trust him. Always. Create on the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, biblical faith is a faith that you trust enough to do. If he says, wait, you wait. If he says, go, you go. If God says, go, no, I'm not going. But I have faith. That sounds foolish, doesn't it? So you trust me, yes. Then do A. No, I don't want to do A. Then you don't trust me. You don't trust me. Faith is about works. It's not biblical faith. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Can get a little tricky. Justified by works. Wait, in front of God? Or in front of man? He goes on, verse 22. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed, completed by his works. Then in verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled. That says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Here's the third point. Faith alone before God brings righteousness. Faith alone before God brings righteousness. It says that Abraham, he quotes uh, Genesis 15 and 23. That's Genesis 15. He didn't know off Isaac until Genesis 23. He was counted righteous in Genesis 15. Genesis 22 was when we saw his faith work out. God, who can see the heart, he was justified, as Paul says, he was justified in Genesis 15. Amongst us, what we can see because we can't see the heart, here's the argument, because we can't see his heart, he was justified amongst us when we can see his faith living out. God can see the tree. We can only see the fruits of the tree. And so when Jesus says, you will know a tree by its fruits, was he talking about him? No, of course not. God can see the heart. He doesn't need fruit. He can see inside the tree. That was for our benefit, that you know a tree by its fruits. So that which is on the inside, you can tell what truly is on the inside by what they do. That's the argument. And so he quotes 22, just to make sure Abraham believed in God, he was counting him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15. And he was called a friend of God. Now I have to put this in there. Those of the Roman Catholic persuasion use this text say you're not justified by faith you're justified by works and so now we're going to tell you what works you must do we do justice start with penance start with this start with indulgence start with confession if you really do research I don't have time now do research what this whole indulgence
so they tell you what you must do because they believe in some sense that you are justified by works. James is not, he's not saying that. By quoting in verse 23, Abraham believed God and was counted as righteousness. It's based solely upon belief. Here's how it goes. If we are truly to be the children of Abraham, here's how it goes. A person goes throughout life Usually it's, 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 it's trauma or some trial or some pain in your life that you, you recognize. Man, I can't be like by myself. There's, there's a struggle on the inside. Man, I said I wasn't going to do this, but I keep doing it. I said I want to do this, but I never get around to it. I want peace. I want happiness. I want to do right by my wife, I want to do right by my husband, I want to do right by my children, I want to do right by my friend. I want to do right, but I can't seem to do it. At that time, most people, they recognize the answer is it's sin that dominates and controls, and, and that the only way to escape this ugly rat race is to turn to God. And so then the person turns to God, and they recognize he or she is a sinner. Lord, I need your forgiveness. I can't do it by myself. I've read the scriptures. You said that you gave your Holy Spirit to empower me to experience your forgiveness. And at that point, a person falls at the, at the feet of Christ and say, I surrender. I, I give it up. Lord, help me. I recognize I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Help me. At that point, if the heart truly needs it, the Spirit of God comes in and you start to, to heal. And you start to grow. And then you start to change. Here's the problem. Sometimes people pray the sinner's prayer, but they don't change. And then they start to wonder, what's wrong with me? Well, again, for, for time's sake, what I've learned over the years is that many people, they bring to God works. I'm going to set up chairs at the church. I'm going to cook meals, and I'm going to clean up, and I'm going to cut the grass, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and then God will love me. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to prayer meeting. I'm going to show up to Sunday worship. And if I give $100 this week and doesn't work, I'm going to give 200 I'm going to give 300 You can give a million. Whatever works you bring before God won't bring healing. Until you bring faith and faith alone. Until you bring trust and trust alone. And what does that look like? God, what you say I will do. Period. Period. There's no, God, I trust you, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and then I'll work to earn your faith. No. It doesn't work that way. And whenever someone who, who's a Christian, and it could be a genuine Christian, is struggling, the problem comes back to this, and it always come back, comes back to this. You're not trusting him at his word. 
you're always trying to add something to gain favor. Trust him. Obey him. Period. Period. It's not trust him, obey him in some areas. And then the areas I don't want to submit, I'll put work on top of it. And I'll make up the areas I don't want to submit by the works I do around the church. You will struggle. You will struggle. You will struggle. Whatever it is, faith is the answer never works. And I did a sermon many, many years ago. It was with a rich young ruler. Remember how that ends? Lord, I've done all those things. He said, we like one thing. One thing, one thing, just one. I'll give you all the other 99 things you say you do. You say you've kept the law from your youth. I know that ain't true, but I'll let that go. Just one thing you lack, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and follow me. He asked a covetous man to do something a covetous man cannot do. One thing. And he said he walked away. So Jesus didn't care about the 99 areas of obedience. He wanted it all. Go sell everything. Go sell everything. The title of the sermon was 99% is not enough. 99% of your heart is not enough. It is total surrender. Complete faith in all areas. Abraham did that in 15, and it took time for him to grow. Genesis 22, go offer Isaac. And his response was, guess what? In all areas, I will obey. I don't care what the world calls you. This is one of my pet peeves. When Christians use the term self-esteem, self-esteem is a worldly term. How does God handle self-esteem? Kill it. Crucify it. There is no self-esteem. Self-esteem? No, no, no. God-esteem. Anything you are, you find in Christ, not in self. And that's a term I've learned in secular psychology in that it allows you to still be in control. Self-esteem. God is going to come help me, help me with my self-esteem. God will never help you with your self-esteem. He will never do that. His solution is to crucify the flesh. Paul says, whatever I was, I counted as done. Garbage. Bring nothing to the table. Faith alone before God brings righteousness and it also brings healing to the believer. Where are you struggling? Read his word and trust him. Verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone among men. 25. And in this same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. James now uses Rahab as an illustration for the last point. Rahab, the prostitute. Real quick, 
nation of Israel, they're marching to the promised land. They come to a town, I believe it was Jericho. Uh, no, it wasn't Jericho. It was another town. Rahab the prostitute in there. Her house is in the wall. She accepts the spies, the Jewish spies. They come to the door. She lies, sends them away. And at that moment, she sides with the nation of Israel, the invading army. Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Here's the, first, here's the final point, fourth point. A living faith will necessarily change thoughts, feelings, and actions. Rahab committed treason against her own people and sided with the foreign invaders. Why? Why? Because she heard about that God that, that, that thumped Pharaoh 40 years ago. And now those people were coming into our land. And she believed and she trusted in the God of Israel. And she looked at the battle, battlefield and said, guys, we're going to lose. I'm siding with them. And she changed on a dime. True faith does not supplement your life. It radically changes it. True faith is not fire insurance. Just perhaps, just maybe there's a hell. So if there's a hell, I'll accept Christ. So if it exists, I won't go. That's not true faith. Because you won't allow that faith to change your schedule. To change the checks you write, the time you spend. Faith is never something you need just in case. True living faith controls you. And again, I'm not preaching moral perfection. No one here is morally perfect. But those who are striving after God, although we're not morally perfect, we try. We genuinely try. And one way we genuinely try is that we are involved in each other's lives through discipleship relationships, through fellowship. That is why we have meals on a regular basis, to get to know one another. That is why we have the One Brick Ministry, a discipleship ministry. So, brother, if you see a fault in me, please tell me. Because I want faith to change me. Not something I just simply believe in my mind. Demons do that. Satan knows better than I. I know who you are. He was a cherub in that cover. Intellectually, he knows way more than I do. It's the will. See, Satan doesn't have the will. Even though he knows it, he does the opposite. Genuine faith not only affects what we believe, it affects our will. Will you do right? Satan's answer is no. What is your answer? That which we cling to to control us. And true biblical faith controls us perfectly, no, but we strive. And there's nothing we can say, God, that's off. 
trust him, I trust him. By faith, I trust him. And no matter what names you call me, I don't believe you, I believe him. And no matter how many laws or Supreme Court decisions are passed, we believe in this. Thank you.